Welcome to Other Duties as Assigned, a podcast recorded out of the garage at the Georgia Cyber Center. Today, you'll hear from retired Army Colonel Eric Toller, who is Executive Director here at the Cyber Center, and most importantly, our boss. Thank you for listening. All right, Eric, what are the three things that we need to know about you going into this? Whether that's personal philosophy or just something exciting and fun we need to know or goals, what are your three things? Three things. Okay. So I was talking to my youngest daughter last night, Katie, and uh, I said, hey, I'm going to be on a podcast today. And I said, what should I say about myself? She goes, make sure you tell them that you have three amazing daughters. (laughs) Those are your three things. And that your youngest is your favorite. (laughs) I'm like, well, honey, I don't have favorites, but yeah, you're probably it. No. <laughs> um, so that's one. Number two, uh, I do have my Superman socks on today, so I'm feeling pretty good. Do you feel, do you feel pretty super? I do. <laughs> but okay, no, it's just, that's just a joke. I'll go back three things. So one, um, I'm an extremely blessed individual. Um, and what do I mean by that? So I gave my life to Christ when I was 12 years old. Um, and I've been trying to live my life accordingly since then. Um, you always try to live up to what Christ would live his life like. Um, most times come up woefully short in that. Um, but there's tremendous freedom in knowing that, uh, that all your sins are forgiven, um, that you do have victory in this life through, uh, through Christ. So that kind of gives you a, a, a pretty good feeling uh, in day to day, that when bad things do come up, when challenges do come up, uh, that you know ultimately how those turn out, and that uh, that you're ultimately victorious. Uh, number two is I'm extremely thankful, so it kind of goes hand in hand. Thankful that Christ chose me to be His uh, His son. Thankful that I was born in this country. Um, we certainly take for granted how great America is, and my experience in the military. I've been to 53 countries now, I think, wow. some of which are not as pleasant as others, uh, and to see how <laughs> other people live, um, again, you just come home and you're just so thankful that uh, we were born here and live here. Thankful of my family, both my parents, uh, my sister, my upbringing, uh, my current family, my wife, June, we've been married 26 years, again, those three amazing daughters that I talked about. Uh, thankful for a wonderful career I had in the Army for almost 28 years. Uh, and then very thankful to have this job and the wonderful staff that I have here at the Georgia Cyber Center. Um, and again, I've everywhere I've gone, I've had just wonderful people around me. So uh, again, the Lord just continues to bless. And then the third thing is uh, I think I just love people very much. And even though you know, personality-wise, I'm an introvert at heart, um, but I just get extreme joy out of helping others, of being with others, seeing them succeed. And you mentioned philosophy. So my, my leader philosophy from the time I was a captain until I retired, you know, we talk about command philosophy. Some people write pages on that and talk about what, what they believe. Mine was always eight words. Love your teammates and, and do what's right. And I think when you talk about, and you know, if you break that down and, and get to the true meaning of it, you don't really have to say a lot more. Um, again, as a Christian man, love is very specific to me. I think uh, John chapter 15, verse 13 um, sums it up best when it's Jesus says, uh, Greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And so when I was explaining that to my my teammates in the Army or in the Joint Force, you have to be careful because not everybody believes the way you do. But I think as a service member or even as a DOD civilian who, oh, by the way, they take the same oath of office that we do in the military. Uh, I mean, word for word. Um, so when you... You know, raise your right hand and swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies. Um, the implied task in there is that you're willing to lay down your life for your country. Um, so to me, that's what love is. And then doing what's right is, 
you know, there's certainly regulations, there's laws, there's everything that tell you what to do and not to do. But at the end of the day, it's really about your moral and ethical compass and always doing the right thing, even when other people aren't watching. So that's kind of the three things. And if I was going to add a fourth, because it's my <laughs> podcast, You're I, welcome can, to. I can do that, <laughs> um, is I like to have fun. Mm-hmm. And having a sense of humor is, is very important, particularly when you're in the business that I was in and you see tragedy, you see death, you see heartache. Um, and if you can't, you know, kind of laugh that off, I mean, not that that's funny in itself, but you find moments even in combat situations where you can laugh and because that keeps your sanity. Otherwise, you just and it, get... And it keeps you human. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I like to have fun. I like, you know, what's the saying? You don't you take your job serious, but you don't take yourself serious. So... I like to laugh at myself because there's a lot to laugh about. Um, but, yeah, I just like to have a good time. I think we choose to be happy or we choose not to. You know, everybody's going to have hardship. Everybody's going to have trials and tribulations. Um, and it's how you uh, look at those from an attitude perspective makes all the difference in the world. So I would just encourage people to to think positively and be positive. So I knew what kind of or generally what kind of boss you were going to be before you got here so we had kind of a weird situation where you know you hadn't quite retired yet you were on the cusp of retirement and the staff had to come on board to get the site going and um, you were ready to pounce any second and come in as soon as you could but um, so we knew you were coming hadn't met you leadership had obviously met you but um, we talked about Colonel Toller, who is coming, and you know, anytime we'd email back and forth about Colonel Toller, and then it immediately shifted to we had to call you Eric, we couldn't call you Colonel, um, and so that said a lot immediately when you were coming in that you were you were leveling with us and you were taking that rank out of there, um, and so immediately I knew about your leadership philosophy, and then when you got here, one of your first few days on the job, I remember I had to ask you to come in and speak to a group who was having an event here, and they gave out these little foam stress balls, and you didn't know any of us, and you came in the office with arms full of these foam stress balls, and you were throwing them across the room, punting them at people's heads across their desk, trying to wake everybody up. No headshots. Oh, there were some headshots <laughs> in there. <laughs> okay, maybe with foam balls. So I'd love for people to understand where you're coming from and what your background is and, you know, what makes you so uniquely uniquely qualified um, to get this project off the ground and to build something new here, um, which has been no easy task in your first year. Yeah, so I think, again, I kind of talked about my philosophy, um, but it is about, uh, you know, checking your ego at the door. That was our saying when we walked in at NSA Georgia. You have so many talented people that work for uh, for the agency, work for the Department of Defense. Um, and if you're worried about titles, because our culture is all about titles, um, you see that in the university setting, you see it in mm-hmm. certainly the military. Um, I mean, even with churches, you have pastors and deacons. I mean, it it gets kind of silly. And I'm not a big title person. It's really about who you are. What can you bring? Um, When you're worried about titles, those that don't have titles feel like they're less important, that they don't contribute as much. When in reality, if you're operating as an organization at your peak efficiency, peak effectiveness then everybody's contributing, but everybody has to be or feel like they can contribute. They certainly have the ability to do that, but they have to have uh, the support to do that. And so that's why empowerment is one of our core values here at the Georgia Cyber Center. Uh, But what makes me uniquely qualified to lead this new team on this new incredible mission, um, I think, you know, again, the Lord puts opportunities in front of you. And so me as a military intelligence officer in the Army had some unique opportunities um, to lead not only brand-new organizations for the Army, but specifically related to cyberspace operations. And not necessarily something that I chose to do. It just kind of, that door opened and... And you walked right through it. I walked through it. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, I mean, it's kind of a joke and it's kind of not when... People ask me, well, how did I get into cyber? 
I mean, it was really a seminal moment when I worked in the Pentagon. And we were just starting to talk as a department about, it wasn't even called cyberspace operations. It was computer network operations, which we had very limited capability within the Army or within the services. I mean, the agency had capability, but but as a military capability, is very limited. And so computer network operations was underneath a larger um, title of information operations, which had not only computer network operations, electronic warfare at that time, psychological operations, uh, operational security, et cetera. And so CNO was just one of those pillars, but there was nobody looking to develop or an organization to develop those as capabilities for the Army, either with the physical equipment or with the people that are trained to do it. And so I was walking into the office one day, and my boss, who was a, a colonel, um, walked in, and there, were, there was me and my buddy, and he goes, he's running to a meeting. He says, hey, which, which one of you know what I.O. stands for? And my buddy goes, well, that's Intel Oversight. That's another I.O. term that we have in the Intel circles. He goes, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm like, information operations? He goes, that's it. You're coming with me. And so that was the first meeting <laughs> of a discussion amongst many in the Army staff on uh, making or developing a what we call a proponent office for computer network operations, which has now led to a career field in the Army and cyberspace command, et cetera, et cetera. So that was probably about 14 years ago. Um, but that's how I kind of got in this road. And then when I left the uh, the Pentagon, I went downrange for a year and was the director of intelligence operations for CJTF-82, which was the 82nd headquarters operational command in Bagram, which was a, a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And then I got to take battalion command of the Army's Network Warfare Battalion. So again, the first 100 service members or soldiers at that time that we had in the Army to do cyberspace operations, both offensive and defensive, although we were really focused on offensive operations at that point. Um, and so I used to joke with some of, when I was a colonel, some of my majors, I said, hey, if you want to command a battalion someday, go work in the Pentagon and create one. And then you can, <laughs> step you one. Can, step uh, one. <laughs> then you can go command it. So that, again, just a unique opportunity that led to other opportunities. I mean, that battalion grew into from 100 to 500 over two years. And then today is really two different brigades. So the Cyber Protection Brigade and the 780th MI Brigade. So all the initial soldiers came out of that first uh, first battalion. So it was kind of neat. Then I went on to lead an offensive cyber team uh, before Cyber Command even stood up. I was the senior intelligence officer for the Cyber National Mission Force. So again, only two years old when uh, when I went to work for General Nakasone there at the CNMF, um, and then got to command NSA Georgia, which kind of led me to this opportunity here at the Georgia Cyber Center with Augusta University. Um, so again, I, I think. You know, from an intelligence professional in the Army, I kind of took myself, and I didn't take that, but for the running to make general officer, for example, I kind of got out of the normal intelligence track and into this cyber thing. But yeah, I wasn't a cyber officer as I stood <laughs> that up. And so not knowing where this was leading until I got a, you know, an email in Afghanistan a year and a half ago and asked if I would be interested in applying for this job. I'm like, yes, I would be interested. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it's only been 14 years since you got to go to that meeting because you knew what I.O. meant? All of that has been packed into just 14 years. Yeah, so on one hand, it seems like, wow, that was very quick. On the other hand, it seems like, oh, my God, it's been 14 years, and yeah. we're not as far as long as we need to be. But when you put it in context, it's pretty amazing. Right. So... As far as being the executive director at the Cyber Center, what do you 
you know, we have this very unique mission that's come from the state and it's the reason we're here and it's the reason we were able to get the funding, but where do you see us in five years? Um, so I want to go back to the mission. Mm -hmm. So we kind of got a, a task from the state, not really a mission per se. So the other thing that I like to do when I go into new organizations is let the team develop our vision and mission. Usually organizations have a pretty good idea of what that is, and sometimes there's minor changes. In this case, you know, we had some general guidance, but we really had the opportunity to shape our way ahead. And so as we went in and talked about what our vision's going to be, you know, usually you want something that's audacious and not necessarily definable, but not necessarily achievable, but something you're striving you, you towards. You want something to live up to, sort of like, yeah. Um, and so I had some ideas in my head, obviously. It's not, but then you get input from, from your teammates and what their ideas are. And so it led us down a path that was interesting that brought me back to another moment in time. I had a unique opportunity as that Army Network Warfare Battalion commander um, where Condoleezza Rice came in and spoke to our battalion before I took command. And it, so was this, this was at NSA headquarters, and she didn't come in to talk to the director. She came in to talk to our battalion because the person I replaced, Jen Easterly, had been her military aide when she was the uh, national security advisor. So she had just come out of being the secretary of state and came to speak to us. And what she spoke to us about was how cyberspace operations was leading to a, what we call a revolution in military affairs. And so that's a capability that fundamentally changes the nature of warfare. And so nuclear weapons, the airplane between World War One and World War II, those are the type of capabilities that lead to these revolutions. And so that was pretty inspiring at the time, pretty excited. Yeah. Um, but you say 14 years later. So this was about now 10 years later. You know, we haven't fundamentally changed a lot of things, the way we recruit, train, or retain talent, the way we develop capabilities, the way we operate, quite frankly. I mean, we've done some evolutionary changes. I mean, first thing we do is establish a new command, so we've done that. It's called U.S. Cyber Command. Um, the Army has a career field now for cyber, which is pretty impressive. But we haven't figured out how to use military forces to protect U.S. critical infrastructure here in the U.S., which is 85 to 90% owned by private industry. So we've still got a lot of long ways to go. And so when we looked at our vision here, it came back to this revolution. We need to lead a revolution in cybersecurity specifically through unprecedented collaboration and innovation. And so this place provides that opportunity to do that with the, the different partners that we have. Um, and then for mission, I'll just talk about that before I go to where we're going to be five years from now. That's smart. Good call. Frame it up. <laughs> Frame it up. <laughs> yeah. Try, trying to do this sequentially so we don't have to go back. So I'm not going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our mission, again, ideas of what we thought we could do. And you know, the first thing to do is create this ecosystem. And we talk about that, and in many cases, it's become an overused term, particularly in DOD. I compare it to Synergy, where mm -hmm. we're doing everything for Synergy, but we can't really define it. But I think in our case, this is very um, appropriate term, because if you look at a way an ecosystem operates, it's very dependent on all those members that are inside it. And so if you look at what we're building with government, academia, and private industry, um, it's not what, you know, our staff of 20 here at the Georgia Cyber Center can do, but it's what all these entities can do collectively together. Once everyone's plugged into that same system. Right. And so, again, there, there's a lot of things that we're going to do, but in more cases it's what we can help facilitate in order to get, you know, these revolutionary changes. And so when we looked at building this ecosystem we came up with uh, four specific tasks that we want to do, at least in the first couple of years. And so one is to deliver relevant and affordable education and training. 
And so if you look at your two-year technical college and university system as that backbone or foundation of education, that's really what we're centered on. Mm -hmm. And so, again, we've got very unique. We've got Augusta Technical College and Augusta University here in the same building. Um, It's the only place in Georgia where you've got that. Ideally, we're one leads into the other. And then you've got degree programs that are as rapidly as possible can can modify or adjust to meet the requirements of the public and private sector. So what you don't want is graduates that get their piece of paper and can't find a job. And it's irrelevant the day they graduate. Right. And so I think both Augusta Tech and Augusta University have done an extraordinary job developing new programs or modifying existing programs, and I can come back to that later. And then the other piece is what we can do at the Georgia Cyber Center with our Cyber Workforce Academy, and that's to deliver the standard certificate training that we can do probably at a third of the cost of most people in the country because our building's paid for and our our instructors are paid for. And we're not here to turn a big profit. We're just here to provide a service both to the state and to those partners that are in the state, both, again, private and public sector. But even more than that, we can develop curriculum, uh, again, that meets some of these near-term needs. And we can turn that very quickly. Um, So we have the talent here with Sarah and Nicole to do that. Mm -hmm. And as we hire on more staff in the future. Um, And then with an eye towards articulation of that, whether it meets a an NSA or a U.S. Cyber Command standard or the accreditation standard of a technical college or university. And so, again, you don't want to disconnect these. You want them to all be seamless so that you're all work, you're working towards the knowledge, skills, and abilities you need for specific jobs as you progress through a career in cybersecurity or cyber operations. Um, and then you can fill further gaps with, uh, with private industry training as needed. Uh, number two is to develop the workforce. And so if you were to go to the CyberSeq website, you would see, you know, 313,000-plus jobs available in the U.S. As of the end of 2018, now there's even more jobs available. So how are you going to fill that delta? I recently, just related to that, I was attending an event this weekend uh, that, we, that we were hosting here at the Cyber Center, and a VP from IBM asked the crowd, it was a bunch of college students that were here to compete, and he asked, what is the unemployment rate in the cybersecurity field? And a bunch of people were asking, let's say like 1%, 2%. He was like, negative 25%. A quarter of all cybersecurity-related jobs go completely unfilled. It's remarkable. Yeah, and it's only getting worse, right? So just in the state of Georgia alone, I think 11,600. And so uh, we will attract some talent to Georgia. I mean, what we're building here in Augusta is pretty, pretty unique, and I think we'll attract some, but it'll never be enough. And so we've got to develop our own internally. And really, as we look f- at the population, how we're going to do that, for me, our strategic center of gravity is our K-12 through programs. You know, what we're seeing is a lack of inspiration by young mm-hmm. men and women, uh, not only in cyber, but in STEM in general. Um, they think it's too hard or they uh, they have a false impression of what it actually is. You know, we talk a lot about if you were to Google cybersecurity and look at the images, you would see a 25-year-old male in a hoodie in a basement on a computer. Not really attractive for the majority of our demographics within the country, Right. Um, but it's so much more than that. I, I know when I worked at NSA, Admiral Rogers, my boss, used to call cyber operations the ultimate team sport because for every one person on keyboard, you've got 20 others in support doing a variety of jobs, uh, multiple analytic jobs uh, from translating customer requirements into operational uh, tasks and objectives. And so it takes an entire team to do that. Um, And so what we're trying to do is at an early age, inspire them to be interested. And we do that in a variety of ways. And I can come back to that um, later if you want. Um, But it's also, it's developing curriculum within our 
late middle to high school that's sustainable by teachers that aren't professionals in cybersecurity or computer scientists. You know, that may change in the future, but in the near term, um, you've got to make it so that they can teach the students at a level that then gets them to the next next gate. Um, and then you got to be able to teach the teachers and then mentor the teachers. And so those are some of the programs we're trying to do here. And then how do you transition people from other career fields, whether that's military veterans or uh, people in other uh, career fields that want to get into cyber? And so that that's a process that has to be informed and has to be very deliberate. Uh, number three is to solve complex cybersecurity challenges. And so that's doing innovation here on site. And I'll talk more about that when I get to the five-year mm-hmm. plan. Um, but it's leveraging the talent that is around us, whether that are students, professors, service members, private industry partners. They can take technical problems and solve them uh, very quickly and affordably. And then number four is to provide unbiased advice to policymakers or decision makers within the state. So again, you know, for most of our elected officials or, or appointed officials today, uh, they were not uh, cyber natives, as we call them. Um, I mean, I can include myself in that. And so to be able to translate highly technical things into policy has been a challenge for us. And in many cases, uh, we get bad advice. And so as the Georgia Cyber Center, we have the opportunity, again, we're all state employees, uh, but we also have this great array of partners that we can get their opinion on things and how does a policy affect them or is there something that has great intent that meets a policy goal but also creates second and third order effects that would be detrimental. So those are the four things we're trying to do in the near term and really our purpose certainly to protect our citizens within the state of Georgia within the nation but it's really about winning Um, and I mean that from a strategic perspective and again I can talk more about that later or in our our second session when we talk about the threat and uh, what China and Russia are trying to do but uh, but it really is about winning and bringing all these entities together uh, for some common goals. I want to go back to what you were saying about leveraging talent and changing the way that cyber is viewed and making it more attractive to that younger generation to inspire them to, to get into the field and fill that void. Um, you know, if nothing else, I think the center has been just a huge convener for a lot of things. And, you know, certainly for politicians who are who are making decisions, they now have someone to call and they aren't saying, okay, who's going to be unbiased here? They have a direct line in and a point of contact here that they can trust. The state has its own resource. Truly. um, That doesn't have an agenda other than, you know, to make cybersecurity better and whatever that means, you know, whether it's education or, or whatever that is. But um, I think it's miraculous how, how big of a part our industry partners have played in to leveraging that talent and inspiring young minds just from what IBM did here this weekend where they sponsored the Southeastern um, Collegiate Penetration Testing Competition. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if I That's was going to get that one right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Parsons doing those quarterly capture the flag events and encouraging people to come down, even if they have no idea what they're doing. Um, and other industry partners, Northrop Grumman coming in and helping with Cyber Patriot and partnering with the CSRA Alliance. I've, you know, if nothing else, this center has been such a convener for, for getting all of those different efforts under one roof. And Girls Go Cyber Start, Cyber Patriots, we're talking to the folks who host the Cyber Titan competition in Canada. Um, and just being able to have this centralized center where all of that is happening and we're able to um, connect some of those people so that there's not an, an overlap in, in mission and initiative and we're able to fill so many of those different voids just in one place. Um, and we're not necessarily hosting all those things, but we're certainly contributing and hoping that they happen here and, and doing our best to improve what they were already doing before the center was built. No, you're exactly right. And I think, you know, that is the big idea. And we talk about a revolution. It's about bringing people together and 
see what happens, right? So I think one of our biggest roles here is the great facilitator or the convener. And you're seeing that every day, and it's very encouraging, uh, particularly on the private industry side, as, as you said. When you have a a BAE system senior executive and come down for the ribbon cutting, and he talks about wanting more industry partners here with them. Um, and again, there's a there's a competition going on, but there's also a partnership, mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing. I think one of the frustrating things that that I saw as a service member, and, and we had a lot of initiatives with certainly academia and, and private industry. I mean, they create a lot of the capabilities that we ultimately use. Um, but a lot of times you would go to a conference or go to a working group or go somewhere and and everybody's excited about the opportunity to work together. But then when you go back, you know, you just get overcome by events and you never get to, a, you know, a goal that's achieved through these partnerships. But now when you're all in the same place and when you go back, you're just going next door or up a floor or across the the courtyard. Or you happen to get coffee next to someone that you saw at XYZ event and you're reminded that, hey, we needed to talk or I wanted to mention this to you. Exactly. I mean, you take it for granted that being together makes a big difference. I mean, you think that you know, just you'll go away and everybody's working on their own thing. But it it makes a huge difference. Even when I worked at NSA, if you were on different floors or in different buildings, your effectiveness was really a measure of how close the different entities work together within a given building or on a given campus. And it's just human nature. I mean, we get comfortable with what we're doing and we get hunkered down in our little cubicle, which is why we don't have cubicles here. <laughs> Um, and, and things just kind of fizzle out or, or they're just not as effective as they could be. And so when you see people every day, it could be at the coffee shop, it could be um, at one of these events that another entity is hosting, but just to listen to the conversations and you start looking at things in a different different light. So if we just look in what I call our cylinder of excellence, you know, every organization has a set amount of authorities and a set amount of capabilities. And when you look at hard problems, and you could name many in the cybersecurity field, it's almost too hard to get there within your own lane. But when you start overlapping capabilities and authorities, you know, we did this in the intelligence community and working with cyber. So Title Ten U.S. Code is military operations, and then National security is Title 50. That's where all your intelligence authorities come from. Um, And so you can do things in one and not in other domestically foreign intelligence collection versus causing effects. But when you overlay those, you can get pretty pretty good uh, effects on that. But now here, we're adding even more. So you have Title 32, the National Guard which is a big player, and again, I can talk more about that later. Um, You've got your law enforcement authorities, whether it's Title 18 or our state law enforcement with the Georgia Bureau Investigation Cybercrime Center right here in the building. You've got private industry that either owns and operates different communication infrastructures or other infrastructures or monitors those networks. And so when you start overlaying all that and you look at the same common problem, you have a lot more solutions. And you also have a lot more perspectives on it too. Exactly. Because people that operate under those different authorities and those different abilities have a completely different way of thinking from each other because of the nature of the work that they do every day. Exactly. And I think, you know, we talk about the collisions, the collisions of ideas and in an environment that allows everyone to have a voice. So, we don't care if you're a student. We don't care if you're a PhD professor, researcher, a retired colonel. It doesn't matter. Your opinion matters. And if if your idea, if your experience, if your knowledge, skills, and abilities meet the problem, then let's bring you on the team and help solve it. So 
how did we've talked a lot about our our industry partners and uh, we've talked a lot about Augusta University and Augusta Technical College. Can you talk a little bit about how GBI has filled a lot of the voids? Um, you know, we say we have government, we have industry, and we have academia. Can you talk about the GBI piece and and really how they've started something new on this campus? Yeah. So to our knowledge, the only active investigative unit on the college campus is right here, one building away. Um, it, so, it's wild when you frame it up like that. It is. Like yeah. <laughs> when you see those evidence uh, vans pulling up right. to, to go up the elevators, and then you see the students with their backpacks on walking across the courtyard. And guys and gals with guns. Yeah. It makes it really the, interesting. The good guys, yeah. Um, I mean, just you can't overstate how important it is to have them as a partner here. And I saw this from my previous life, either not only in cyber, but even in counterterrorism operations where. You know, one of my greatest partners on one of my tours in Afghanistan was our special agent in charge for the FBI. And so those authorities, uh, again, if you want to operate domestically, you've, you've got to have those. Um, and so it's critical to be uh, part of this ecosystem to have that extra leg of, of capabilities and, and authorities. Um What's unique about cyber is it's really the only crime where the perpetrator and the victim are in different jurisdictions. I mean, and it's not only different counties, it's different states, different countries in many different cases. Different continents. Like, exactly. Yeah. And so for them to be here, it's also a benefit because now they get to have a different perspective from, uh, from the federal side or from private industry or others that have information that they need. And when you look at capabilities, uh, they were um, fortunate and, and very grateful to the state for for purchasing them state-of-the-art capabilities to do exploitation of either cell phones or, or other media. Um, but that only stays fresh for so long. And so to be here, to be able to be a partner with the federal government, to be a partner with private industry to be able to bring up new requirements that they need for capabilities and then have someone that could locally maybe develop that for them and then they purchase it. And I, you know, Steve Foster, our special agent in charge here, uh, articulates that very well. But again, you can't overstate how important that is. Otherwise, you would have them just operating in their own little bubble with very limited capability, very limited situational awareness of what's really going on. But now we're opening that up from both perspectives. We benefit and they benefit. So, again, just a phenomenal, phenomenal partner to have here. And the, the people that are here are just incredible. From the special agent charge down to our digital forensic investigators and special agents. Couldn't ask for better people. It's interesting to me how open GBI has been to collaboration with our other partners. I just assumed, you know, they're on a secured floor. They're kind of tucked away. But they do their best to get out of their offices and truly eat lunch on the rooftop and get coffee downstairs and um, have those collisions with people that, you know, they force upon themselves and they don't have to do that. Um, but they've also walked down to the clubhouse to ask about different apps that are being developed and how they're able to use those to their advantage and how, you know, criminals are able to use those against them. Um, you know, they have internships that they've asked us to post for them to get our students involved. And whether that's Augusta Technical College students or Augusta University, it's just amazing to me how open they have been as a partner who typically wouldn't be able to be that open and collaborative. And they're they're thirsty for it because in, as far as they're concerned, they've never done this either. Right. Like, and so it's a completely unique opportunity. And like you said, the people, you have to have people in place that are willing to alter their normal train of thought enough to engage with what's here because you could have a collection of people that did just want to stay up on the fourth floor and avoid contact with other people and just put their head down and work. But the ability to come downstairs, interact with people, that sort of thing, you have to have that willingness in those people. Yeah. I mean, the idea was, Amazing, right? It's revolutionary. Put put them on this campus, but you know you got to have the action that goes with it. Mm -hmm. 
And again, I, we couldn't have picked a better team to come in here and, and get this thing started because this could have very easily gone the opposite way, right? You bring someone that, hey, I'm not sharing, I'm not working with others, and this great idea turns into, I won't say a failure, but it would have been far less effective. But that was not the case. Um, and when you look at all of our partners, um, private industry included, you know, we've been very selective on who we let in. It's you know, the mission of your organization is very important, but it's the people that are going to be here on campus, I would say, is even more important. Do you have the personality and the attitude to contribute to this ecosystem? And I think right now we're probably batting a 1,000. Uh, and so we will continue to do that and be very selective on who we let in because you can't have someone that just wants to come in and hunker down in their, their battle space and, and not contribute, not collaborate. Otherwise, it defeats the purpose of this of this mission. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, Tatooine in the, in the whole McKnight building and their mission. I know that you had some run-ins with them in Afghanistan before you ever took this job and knew you'd get, you were going to be here. Yeah, so I really use them as the model of what innovation should be like here at the Georgia Cyber Center. And uh, again, I'm a big fan of Tatooine, which is the first outpost uh, from the Defense Digital Service, which is headquartered in the Pentagon. So that that's pretty special, again, to be here. But again, the perfect partner of what we're trying to do. So they essentially are solving the two problems that I get yelled. Yeah, I got yelled at quite a bit in <laughs> Afghanistan as the, again, I was the director of intelligence operations for the second time. Comes with the job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we have, we have kind of a joke in combat, you know, that everything that, that fails is either the intel or the, or the comms guy's fault, or J2 <laughs> or J6. So we're pretty tight when we get down range because we like to sympathize with one another. <laughs> um, but the two issues that we had, one was uh, – you know, these small drones, quadcopters that you can buy at Amazon for a pretty cheap price. Um, so insurgents have procured those and they use them to surveil our forces and either call in fire or bring in additional forces. Or in some cases, uh, particularly in Iraq, Syria, they've weaponized those drones so they can either drop a grenade or pack them full of explosives and fly into a formation and cause casualties. And so how do you mitigate that? Well, there was a team that was up in, I think, initially Maryland working on this, and uh, some of the leadership from our cyber saw what they were working on, got interested. Bottom line, they formed a team. And again, they can tell this story much better than I, but I think it was two private industry partners, three lieutenants and a captain who just happened to have degrees in engineering or computer science. But in 90 days, they developed a capability that could mitigate this specific model of drone. Um, and where I met them was in Afghanistan last, I think, January. Didn't know who they were. Didn't know that they would be our first partner here at the Georgia Cyber Center or that I would even have this job. So it's kind of coincidental. But, but again, I think uh, uh, it's one of those things that just kind of works out, right? Um, the other side of the story is, so their, their, uh, their capability worked, but we'd also fielded three other systems in theater that didn't work. And that's why I got yelled at a lot, even though those weren't Intel systems for the record. But again, somehow, somehow it came back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's <laughs> got to take the blame, right? Yeah. And then the other, the other capability was, uh, a biometrics capability where we would enroll both. Afghan government officials, Afghan National Defense and Security Services, or uh, prisoners, insurgents, um, take latent fingerprints off of uh, IEDs, et cetera. So it was a common database that had people's names. It had uh, their you know, face picture, facial recognition, fingerprints, um, et cetera. And so the idea is to, to, you know, to pick out the bad guys from the good guys. And so that capability was fielded probably back in 2006, 2007. And so it's a little bit antiquated. And so at the time, as I moved from Kabul to 
to Bagram, again, took over this new role. Um, we had the Security Force Assistance Brigade coming in that was going to now do uh, training and advising down to the brigade level. And so before they could do that, we had to both enroll all these Afghan National Army soldiers and then vet them to make sure that, you know, their fingerprint didn't pop up in a in a database somewhere that would have led to a, a terrorist attack or, or insurgent attack. And so the problem was we didn't have enough of these systems. Um, you can't drive in Afghanistan now if you're a coalition military. You have to fly because of the IED threat. And so you're using all your air resources to get out to these remote combat outposts or ANA bases to enroll people. Um, and then you have to train people to use the system. And then the data is not transmittable, and so you have to put it on a CD and then fly it back into a common database. So, again, a very antiquated wow. system. And, of course, this was an Intel system initially. We, at least the G2 of the Army sponsored it. Um, and so that was in my certainly in my lane, uh, and so we were trying to, to fix that. But what DDS did was essentially – took two Pelican cases worth of equipment for a single device and put it on an Android phone so that you use the peripherals of the phone to do your facial recognition, take the picture, do the fingerprints, do all the enrollment, and then use the cellular network within country using a VPN to actually upload and download all the data. And so you don't have to now fly the data back and forth Every time you have an Which, update to the system, just from a from a consumer standpoint, it's like, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But getting from zero to one from a DoD perspective is, I mean, you had a system; it technically worked, and so why would you go the why would you go from zero to one? Right, exactly. Yeah, and they're they're still working on that. I mean, they got the prototype. The last prototype they took to Afghanistan to test. Um, the unit that was there kept those devices, and so you, you know it's working if you don't get to bring home your equipment. That uh, they're like, yay, that's hooray! Just, just works. Just, please leave. Please <laughs> it's leave. It's just it. a beta version, right? So we, we're just testing it. Uh, but that's the type of tactical development that I call it that we can do here at the Georgia Cyber Center, and they're just a great model for for that. Do you see other units, not necessarily? units within the army, but do you see other entities taking that model and um, utilizing kind of that rapid capabilities development? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they certainly have the talent to do that. So if you look at, again, all the units on Fort Gordon from uh, the Cyber Center of Excellence, as a matter of fact, some of the lieutenants uh, that are in DDS are from from there. So again, they've already got degrees or in some cases advanced degrees in computer science or, or uh, engineering. And so they don't need to teach them computer science part of it. And so they're coming here to do the development, which I think is a great uh, professional development opportunity. But then you've got, of course, NSA Georgia and all the units there. You've got the Cyber Protection Brigade, the 782nd MI Battalion, the new Cyber Support Battalion, uh, multiple 7th uh, uh, Signal Command, so communications and IT, what we call signal units there on Fort Gordon. They all have the talent to be able to do this. Um, they just have to commit to it and let their service members do it. All right, Eric, what are your goals for the Georgia Cyber Center in five years? Where do you see this? Where do you see us in five years? And kind of what are the what do you want to happen in the interim as we work towards that? Yeah, so I think, again, these are big ideas, right? And they're all dependent on everybody else. That, that's what kind of makes this fun and unique is there's nothing that we can do as a Georgia Cyber Center with a staff of 20 to get us anywhere we want to be to meet our goals five years from now. So I think, again, big picture, it's about creating, it's almost like a developmental operations process or mentality for everything we do, every line of effort. And I'll give you a few examples. So this project as a whole, the $106 million that the state of Georgia, you know, gracefully gave to us 
was really about economic development. So if you look at what we want to do here from startup companies to multi-billion dollar companies. So we have the clubhouse and again, another great partner uh, that can do the startup piece on the back end. You've got billion dollar companies that are here. We've already got uh, two that are signed and on campus. So Parsons and BAE systems. And then you've got the middle piece, which is uh, acceleration or uh, the mid-sized companies, smaller established companies. And so what makes it unique is now it becomes all informed. And so it's not everybody off doing their own thing, not knowing what everybody else is doing. And so what's, again, fascinating is you've got companies that are competing against one another on, in some cases, very large contracts. But it's been my experience, having you know, been the signature on or signator on many of these large contracts that there's never a single company that can do all the work within a given contract. You know, they win and then they have to go hire people to do at least part of the work. And so if you've got companies that are already here that can do that work and they already have relationships, it makes it very uh, conducive not only to the companies, but to the customer. So the governor or the government benefits from this as well because you get a better product at the end. Um, it also spurns that economic development. And so where startups or small companies have trouble competing on these uh, large contracts because they don't have the staff that can write a proposal, for example, now they can either be a team team member on some of these teaming agreements or they can be a subcontract on some of these larger um, larger contracts and uh, we can develop businesses so that they have an understanding and know how to write proposals and so it's it's a training mission as, as well and so again that whole process now becomes informed and so similar to what we saw when we went to Canada for the visit uh, at Communitech, where you, you had the startup portion, you had the acceleration portion, and you had these uh, large companies that were there trying to think like a startup in order to do innovation and, and continue to be successful as a company. So I think that's going to be unique here. Um, the other piece is the innovation, which I just talked about a minute ago. With We talked about the tactical development. So what are those problems that you can solve immediately with the talent on hand on the front end and on the back end, you've got university research. So you've got a school of computer and cyber sciences that is developing into a world-class research university. And then the ability to tap into other universities, both here in the state of Georgia and across the country to solve those big problems and work on things that we think will be a problem three, five, 10 years from now. And then in the middle of that, you've got your normal acquisition process or development process for the state or for the federal government. And what we'll have here on site with the Army is a rapid capability development process. So again, you align that and it all becomes informed. And so what research is doing is not some, it's not that it's secretive, it's just nobody knows about it. Or the problems that you're solving today are not trivial, they're not you know, exclusive to just the problem at hand, but they can be applied to other problems. And so what's really interesting is, particularly in cybersecurity or cyber defense, a lot of your capabilities are transferable to the public and private sector. So it's not some super secret thing that only the federal government can do. It can be transferred across the board and make us all all safer. Especially like best practices and exactly. like procedures and the Technologies are one thing, but getting into like best practices for you know keeping safe and you know doing investigations that sort of thing. Exactly, and a lot of your defensive capabilities are also unclassified. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get into offensive, that's a whole different story. But uh, for defensive, not all of it, but a large majority can be transferred. Um, and then you get into training and education. So we talked about the alignment of of the technical college and the university. 
now you add your K through 12 and you start adding all these internships and other opportunities. And again, it all becomes informed. So you're seeing the requirements as they're happening or as they're needed. And you're seeing how you can modify, partner, and meet these requirements much quicker than you could otherwise. And again, you can't have a K through 12 system just operating independently without knowing you know, what these um, either students are expected to do or what the opportunities are for them. Now it's right. all, in, all informed. And, uh, and kind of going hand in hand, that is the workforce development. So again, it's, it's all informed from high school to internships to career transition if you're going from one career to another and the professional development within the careers. And so uh, that's kind of the bigger picture and it's really about breaking down all these cylinders of excellence, as I call them. And so it really makes us informed, allows us to compete with a China or a Russia that doesn't have a, a distinction between government and academia and private industry. It's, it's all one thing. What makes us great and what gives us a competitive advantage is our ability to innovate as a culture. But it's got to be informed of what's going on on your left and right. Um, and we can maintain our uh, competitive edge. Uh, from five years from now, um, I would see us at our grand opening of our fourth building, which means there was a third building in between <laughs> there, which would predominantly be a research-oriented facility for our growing school, soon to be College of Computer and Cyber Sciences. And then our fourth building I would see is uh, a training center uh, slash innovation hub. And so maybe that's a combination of those two. I think we will be a leader in the, the nation in K-12 through education and in university and technical college degree programs. Um, I think on the innovation the training, the partnerships that you'll see, again, will be a model for the rest of the country, for other states, and for the federal government to follow suit. You know, the other big partner I didn't didn't mention yet is Department of Energy and the Savannah River site, Savannah River National Lab. Again, very blessed by our geography here. So certainly Fort Gordon and all that's going on there. Um, and that's really the main reason why we're here in Augusta and not in Atlanta. Uh, but also the Department of Energy and the ability for those two organizations to work together, particularly as electronic warfare as a capability moves uh, to Fort Gordon as well underneath this uh, cyber umbrella. Um, so I think, uh, you know, just a unique place. Um, I want to say I applaud the state of Georgia for making this investment, and that's really why I'm here, because I saw the commitment from the governor on down to our university president from our local mayor and city councils uh, to our DOD partners and DOE partners that all want to be part of this. And then very encouraged to see all of our private industry partners that are just coming on board and want to be part of this. And so, uh, again, I, I started off talking about how blessed I am, but I think for a community, for a region, you know, we've, we've been – blessed with a lot of opportunities and it's really up to all of us uh, to take full advantage of this and it's not just about cyber it's about making uh, the best that you can out of a of a community and so as they say in the navy you know a rising tide raises all ships and if we don't take advantage of that then shame on us but i'm pretty confident that that we'll get there and this is going to be a really really neat place to live it already is but you know five years from now I think the entire face of downtown and the region will change because of this. I agree. Headed there already. Totally. Totally. <laughs> All right. One last question for you. Yep. So you're wearing your Superman socks. What superhero would you be? Yeah, it's funny. I wore Superman socks. I really don't have superheroes. I mean, uh, I really look at people. Um, of course, the greatest example is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the ultimate superhero. 
Uh, but then I look at my father. I look at leaders that I've had throughout my career, General Nakasone, General Fogarty, uh, General Kimmons, uh, General Alexander. Um, I look at my wife. I look at my kids. I mean, those are really my, my superheroes. Uh, and at Halloween, you may see them in capes. But <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for listening to Other Duties as Assigned. We'd also like to thank Eric for his time today, and we look forward to hearing from Eric and other leaders on the ground at the Cyber Center in the near future.